As you're being seated, if you will find your Bible and open it up, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5 today. All right, let's, uh, let's do this. Breathe in, breathe out. Now think about that spiritual imagery. We are breathing in God's grace, taking God's grace into ourselves and breathing out praise to Him. I mean, the power, whenever you think about that, that God's grace is like air to our soul. And the only reaction we can have is to exhale with praise to His name. I mean, that is a beautiful song, and you guys sing it in such a beautiful way to our Lord today. Uh, it's been a eventful couple of days around the church. Yesterday morning, we had a memorial service for Lee Harris. Uh, and so we had the service right here, and we want to pray for her family as they go through a time of grief. Lee normally attended the 8.30 service, and she passed away uh, from leukemia uh, about a week ago on Saturday. We also welcomed to our church family uh, a little baby. I want to make sure that I get this right here. Uh, Ross and Gretchen Kotler. And Gretchen said on her Facebook page, Ross and I are smitten with this sweet guy, Timothy James, arrived on 8.15, weighed in at 9 pounds, 13 inches, yes, and uh, somewhere on here, uh, Ross pays a tribute to his wife because she went through 28 hours of labor with no epidural and gave birth to that 9 pound, 13 baby pound baby with natural childbirth. That's like Hall of Fame stuff right there. So, uh, you know, we praise the Lord for Ross and Gretchen Kotler, Ross and and Gretchen Kotler, and the birth of little Timothy. By the way, they're going to be starting a new life group class in late September. We'll give you more information about it as we get close to that date. It is for uh, couples who are either newly married or couples that have younger children in the home. The class is going to be called the Journey Class, and I believe it'll be meeting at 945, and so that class is starting in September. Uh, every week, I'm asked to pray for somebody by somebody. I'm asked to pray for someone uh, who is sick, someone who's going through an injury or a difficult time. And I, I try to be faithful. Whenever you ask me to pray for someone, I always try to be real faithful in praying for the ill. And one of the things that I always pray when I pray for someone who is ill is I pray for their healing. I remember the first time that I experienced the healing of God and saw that up close and personal. I was about a nine-year-old boy. My good friend Dan, his dad, Jim, became very sick with leukemia. He had a very grave prognosis, and it didn't look like he was going to live much longer at all. And I remember there was a Sunday where the church prayed to God and asked for Jim's healing. I remember I was just a boy, but I remember the altars were full and that people were just really lifting up Jim in prayer. And shortly thereafter, he received news from the doctor that his leukemia had gone into remission. It surprised the doctors, and he was, he was able to resume his life and live. And I remember taking all that in and seeing how that healing took place in Jim's life and being impressed with how the church prayed and how God touched his body. 
About that same time, there was another man in the church. He was a deacon in our church, E.O. Jackson. The thing that I remember about him was that he had built us a new Lord's Supper table. And I remember him showing uh, me and my dad that Lord's Supper table, and he was so proud of it. He contracted cancer, had a very similar prognosis in the church, prayed for him. And there was also an outpouring of prayer and love on behalf of, we called him Brother Jackson. But Brother Jackson didn't get better. In fact, he got worse, and shortly after his diagnosis, he died from that terrible disease of cancer. So I was just a small boy growing up in the church, but it left me with some questions. Questions like, why does God physically heal some but doesn't heal others? Why do people get sick in the first place? Why, why do we pray for people who are sick? I mean, what's the point? Either God's going to heal them or not. What are we doing whenever we pray for people who are sick? Well, the passages that we look at today, I I don't claim that they will answer all of your questions on this this subject, because some of the questions that we have on this subject will not be answered this side of eternity. But I think that if you listen closely, they will help you, because I'm sure that I'm not the only one that wrestles with these type of questions. Now, right up front, I want to tell you that my ultimate prayer for you today is that you will understand that though not all of us will receive physical healing in our life, all of us can receive a spiritual healing in our life. Luke chapter 5, we begin in verse 12. While he, we're talking about Jesus here, While he was in one of the towns, a man there who had a serious skin disease all over him, a man was there who had a serious skin disease all over him, and he saw Jesus, fell face down, and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, here's the problem. There is a man who is very sick. He has a serious skin disease. And this skin disease is all over him. We are left to assume that from the head to toe, this man was covered with this terrible skin disease. Now, moms, imagine living in a world where there is no powder, no ointment for the little babies. Imagine living in a world where if you get poison ivy, there is no calamine lotion. In biblical days, skin diseases and disorders were a big deal, and they used this term leprosy in an umbrella fashion to uh, refer to a lot of different skin disease. Most often, whenever the Bible uses the term leprosy, it's referring to what modern physicians would call Hansen's disease. Hansen's disease is a long-term bacterial disease of the skin, and it can lead to blindness. Uh, It can lead to a loss of feeling in the extremities. Uh, If you go back in ancient times, this loss of feeling in the extremities led to frequent accidents. It could lead to fatal infections. They would often lose their hands and their feet. And in Jesus' day, when someone contracted Hansen's disease or leprosy, they believed it to be the judgment of God upon that person. 
this person had sinned and therefore they have leprosy. Or perhaps it was their family that sinned and that's why they had leprosy. So this man that comes to Jesus with this terrible disease, he had experienced extreme isolation. Relationally, he was termed unclean. Before he went into a group of people, he would have to yell, unclean, unclean. Whenever he came around, everybody fleed. He was ostracized from society. Physically, he had to leave his family, leave his home, and go live in the area that was designated for those with leprosy. Spiritually, he was not allowed to enter the temple. He was not allowed to enter the synagogue. He was isolated spiritually. Emotionally, he dealt with the fact that people considered him to be worthless. He was unloved by the community, unemployable. This was his life. Relational pain and physical pain. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Well, how does Jesus respond in verse 13? Reaching out his hand, he touched him. Well, at that moment in the crowd, there's a gasp because nobody touched lepers. Jesus looks at him, is moved with a compassion, according to Mark, and he reaches out his hand and touches him, and the crowd is astonished, but they hadn't seen anything yet. Jesus says, I am willing, be made clean, and immediately the disease left him. Now notice three things about the healing. Number one, before the healing, the man worshipped Jesus. He fell face down before him. Before the healing, the man had put his faith in Jesus. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Secondly, notice that Jesus was willing and able to heal him. It's one thing to be willing to heal him. It's another thing to be able to heal him. Now, throughout Luke chapter 5, Jesus is demonstrating his power. He has demonstrated his power over nature in the story of the fish that got into Simon uh, Peter's nets. Now he's demonstrating his power over disease in healing this man's body, and very soon he would demonstrate his power over sin. And so thirdly, I want you to notice about this healing, that there was a purpose behind it. The purpose of this physical healing was to reveal Jesus as the Son of God. We've been calling this section of Luke uh, the Son of God because if you go back to the baptism of Jesus and you read the stories, each of those stories is designed to show us that Jesus is not just a mere man, but that Jesus is the Son of God. When God chooses to heal someone physically, sometimes He will use supernatural means. God will intervene into the natural order and heal someone in a supernatural fashion. Nobody can explain it. We just don't understand it. It's a miracle from God. Sometimes God will use natural means. story goes that there was a hiker. He was hiking through 
the canyons in Zion National Park. There's this incredible canyon there. It's called the Narrows Hike, and you go down this, this small river, and it's surrounded by several hundred-foot walls, canyon walls. It's unbelievably beautiful. Well, a great storm came up, and the man found himself in great difficulty, and he had to retreat up to the high land, and he began to realize that if he did not get help, he was going to die. He was going to drown to death, and so he began praying, Lord, save me. About that time, a boat came by with a ranger in it. The ranger said, hop in the boat. I will take you to safety. The man said, no, thank you. The Lord's going to save me. So the man kept praying. Eventually, the rangers brought a helicopter into the canyon. They dropped down a ladder, said, grab a hold. We'll take you to safety. The man said, no, thank you. The Lord's going to save me. The man eventually died. He went before the Lord and said, why didn't you save me? The Lord said, I brought you a boat. I brought you a helicopter. You just didn't take my means of rescue. You see, the Lord does bring us natural means towards healing as well. Whenever you're sick, go to the doctor. Even the men, go to the doctor whenever you get sick. We're thankful for our physicians, for our nurses, for those uh, that help us in the healthcare industry. Those are gifts from God, and God has blessed us with natural means to help us, and sometimes He will use this to heal our physical bodies. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says, you've asked for healing, but this is not my will. I think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember the story? Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Was the suffering of the cross part of the Father's plan for Jesus? Yes or no? Was that part of his plan? Yeah, the cross wasn't an accident. The cross isn't a, oops, I didn't mean for that to happen. Was Jesus' death on the cross part of God's plan for his son? Yeah. Did his son not come to the heavenly Father and openly say, Lord, all things are possible with you. Take this cup from me. Was that not an appeal that the Lord would would somehow take him uh, uh, from the suffering or at least bring life back to him? Yes. But it was God's will for his son to go through the suffering. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, three times Paul says that he asked God to remove a thorn in his flesh. Now, scholars debate a little bit about exactly what was the thorn in the flesh, but most of them believe that it was a serious eye disease that Paul had. And he says, three times I went to God asking for physical healing, and God said no. Then Paul says it was through that physical weakness that God drove me to greater grace, to experience His grace anew. Understand that whenever God heals our bodies physically, it's also a temporary healing. My friend Jim, uh, he, he was healed. Dan's father, Jim, that I talked about earlier, he was healed and he lived three decades He got to raise his kids. He saw them get married. He welcomed his grandchildren into the world. Whenever he was in his 60s, he got sick again. The leukemia came back. A few years ago, uh, Jim died. He died of leukemia. He's with the father today. 
the man that we see here in the story that Jesus healed of leprosy. He's not in attendance today. Reason being, he's gone. He died a long time ago. Jesus healed him of his leprosy, but guess what? He still got sick again. Physical sickness and death and sufferings are realities in a world that has been stained by sin. We live in a world in which all of us have sinned, in which every aspect of our society at some level is stained by sin. And because of that, there is suffering, there is injustice, and there is also death. You say, well, why doesn't God do something about all this sin, this sickness, and this death? Why doesn't God just uh, uh, do something about it? Well, He has. He sent His Son. And His Son lived a life that you and I could never live. His Son died on the cross making an atonement for our sins. His Son absorbed the wrath of God upon sin into Himself. His Son lived the life that you could never live and took on sin. You say, well, why doesn't God just eliminate all this injustice and and, and eliminate all this evil and suffering right now. Well, don't forget this. In your heart, there is sin. Is sin evil? Yes. If God's going to eliminate all evil right now, He's got to eliminate you. You say, well, hold on a second. I don't want Him to do that. Well, what He has done is He has gone to the spiritual problem of sin. He has sent Jesus who died for us, and He is healing our soul through salvation. Whenever we come to Christ and we repent of sin and we place our faith in Jesus, we receive forgiveness in our soul. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have, what? Eternal life. There is forgiveness of this sin, your sin past, present, and future. Let me ask you this question. How many of your sins were in the past whenever Jesus died? None of them. You weren't born yet. When Jesus died, He died for your sins in the past, present, and future, and He is redeeming us. He is liberating us from the stain of sin today, and one day the Scripture says that Jesus will come again, and whenever Jesus comes again, He will not come as the passive baby of Bethlehem. When Jesus comes again, He will come as King of kings and Lord of lords, and the Scriptures portray a day when there is no more suffering, there is no more dying, there is no more pain, there is no more sorrow, because those of us who are believers in Jesus will live with Him for all eternity in his perfect paradise and the pain and suffering and evil that we endure today and the death that we endure today will be no more. Well, healing this man of leprosy set off a major firestorm within the community. First of all, Jesus had broken all the priest rules. He had touched the man. He had healed the man in their opinion improperly. Jesus had also told this man, if you read the story, he tells the man, okay, don't tell anybody about this. And the man goes out and tells everybody. And so he disobeys Jesus. It creates a big problem because now everybody's coming to Jesus for healing, and Jesus is, is he's wanting to get his message out about God, and he's spending all this time with physical situations that he's dealing with. In verse 17, uh, on one of those days while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. 
Now, these Pharisees and teachers of the law were not fans of Jesus. They were sitting there listening to Jesus teach, and they were looking for trouble. They were trying to find something in his message that they could trip him up on. And so they had come from every village in Galilee and Judea, also from Jerusalem, and the Lord's power to heal was in him. Now look at what happens in verse 18. Just then some men came, carrying on a mat a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him, Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him on the mat through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. So imagine the scene. Jesus is teaching in your home. So he's in the living room. Because of his popularity, the crowd is so great that your living room is packed out. I mean, you ran out of coffee a long time ago, okay? The crowd is massive. There is this paralyzed man outside who wants to be healed by Jesus, and he's fortunate enough to have some friends that care about him who will take him to Jesus. And so they pick up the mat that he he is on, and they try to get him in the front door, but the crowd is such that they can't get him in the door, and they look through the back door, it's full, and so these guys persevere, and they go up on the rooftop, a flat rooftop. They spend a lot of their time up on the rooftop in Jesus' day. Jesus is teaching in the house, and suddenly uh, the ceiling begins to be removed. Just imagine if that happened while I was preaching right now, okay? I'm preaching, and suddenly, in fact, we have some guy, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but, you know, the ceiling starts opening up. Some of you guys would be springing into action. You'd be like, I'm going to get these guys. So, so Jesus is teaching. This paralyzed man is lowered down through the roof, and interrupts the sermon of Jesus. Now, how's Jesus going to respond? In verse 20, the Bible says that seeing their faith, here's what Jesus said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Now, that's an interesting thing for Jesus to say. This man's coming down through the rooftop, being lowered by his buddies on a mat because he's paralyzed, and Jesus looks at him and says, hey, friends, your sin, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Now, in both of these stories, we have someone who is physically sick. In one, in one instance, we have a man with leprosy, and another, we have the man with paralysis. In both stories, the sick person places their faith in Jesus for healing. In the first story, Jesus heals the man physically, and then the man chooses to disobey Jesus. In the second story, Jesus heals the man spiritually before he ever deals with the physical problem. You see, this man thought the biggest problem he had in life was paralysis. But in reality, he had a bigger problem. He had sin in his heart. The greatest need that he had was not physical healing from his paralysis. The greatest need that he had was forgiveness of his sins. And so Jesus looks at him, and before he does anything else, says anything else, he says, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees begin to think, who is this man who speaks blasphemies in verse 21? Who can forgive sin? but God alone. And then in verse 22, Jesus jumps in their head. I love it when Jesus does this. He does it frequently in his teaching. Someone will start thinking something, and before they've said anything, he just starts talking to their brain. (laughs) So perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, 
Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Why are you thinking this way? Now, the Pharisees and the scribes were actually correct in verse 21 that only God can forgive sins. So they were correct in that. But they were incorrect because they were assuming that Jesus was speaking blasphemies when the entire point of what was about to happen was that Jesus is indeed God, that He is the Son of God. And so in verse 22, Jesus jumps into their head, perceiving their thoughts, and then in verse 23, He asked them a question. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? Now think about that for a second. Which is easier, to say to somebody, your sins are forgiven, or to say to a man who's been paralyzed for a long period of time, get up and walk? Well, it's easy to say to somebody, your sins are forgiven. Anybody can do that. You can stand before me and I can say, hey, your your sins are forgiven. But now remember, the Pharisees were right because only God can forgive sins. So here's where Jesus is going with this. He's saying to these skeptical, cynical religious leaders, I'm going to heal this man, and I'm going to show that I'm the Son of God because my healing of him is going to demonstrate my power to forgive his sins. So in verse 24, he says, So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. Now, Jesus had already given this man a spiritual healing. Your sins are forgiven. Now he offers him a physical healing. Don't miss this, okay? The physical healing was an outward demonstration of the spiritual healing that had already occurred in the man's heart. But now there's a moment of truth. In the first story, the man received physical healing, and then he had a disobedient heart and didn't do as Jesus asked. In the second story, this man had received a spiritual healing, his sins had been forgiven, and now Jesus is asking for an obedient heart. Get up, pick up your mat, go home. Now, if you've been paralyzed for a long time, you're at a moment of truth. Am I going to believe him or not? Am I going to obey or not? Immediately, he got up before them. He chose to obey. He picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying who? God, now make sure you understand this. Whenever someone receives a blessing of God in their life, when we receive a healing of God in our life, who does the glory belong to? God. It doesn't belong to the the preacher. It doesn't belong to the church. It doesn't belong to the life group. The glory belongs to God. And then everyone was astounded, and they were giving. Here it is again. Glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, We have seen incredible things today. Now, I want to begin packaging this here a little bit for you with a few thoughts that I wrote down as I studied this passage about God and healing. First of all, when God 
supernaturally intervenes to heal someone physically. There is a spiritual reason behind it. When God intervenes into the natural order, the miracle itself testifies to something that God is doing in the spiritual realm. So, if you see someone healed, if you receive a healing in your own life, when a miracle takes place, you better pay attention because it means God's up to something. And don't miss the physical or don't miss the spiritual truth because you get so caught up in the temporal. Second, physical healings are temporary. People still get sick again, and we all eventually die. So I'm thankful that God touched my friend Jim. But I'm also mindful that the physical healing in his life was a temporary healing. He eventually aged and is now with the Lord. Third, Spiritual healings, though, are eternal. When God touches our soul and heals our soul, that healing lasts not just for a season, that healing lasts forever. Number four, God does not always extend physical healing. We can pray for healing. It's okay for you to pray, Lord, please heal the ill. I have a sister that's been going through a four-year fight for her life, and I pray often for her healing. Sometimes, though, God says, no, it's not my will. It's not in my plan to extend physical healing. But number five, God is always willing to extend spiritual healing. If we confess our sins, the Bible says He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That spiritual healing is available to you and to me and to all because when Jesus died on the cross, it was not a cosmic lottery extended to just a few. Jesus' atoning death on the cross is made available to anyone who repents of sin and places faith in Jesus Christ. And whenever we place our faith in Jesus Christ, a spiritual healing is available to anyone who reaches out in faith. It's there. And one of the greatest things about the story of the gospel is that we receive a healing for our greatest need, our sin disease. We receive forgiveness. And whoever calls upon the Lord does not perish, but has what? Say it again. Eternal life, everlasting life, if you're King James. You have eternal life. That means though your body dies, you live forever with God in heaven. Yesterday, right here, we went through the memorial service for Lee Harris. Her body has died, but she is alive. 
Because she has eternal life. She has received spiritual healing even though leukemia took her physical life here. Sixth, we need to remember that Jesus' body was broken and killed. God sent His Son through suffering to demonstrate that He has power over sin and He has power over death. Because the suffering of the cross is accompanied by the joy of the resurrection. So, all right, here's, here's the reality. Preaching this sermon puts a lot of weight on me because I know that there is some reality sitting in the room today. Some of you are angry. Some of you are hurt. Because at some point, you asked God for a physical healing. Maybe it's for yourself, maybe it's for somebody you loved, and it didn't happen. There's some in this room who, if you look at your spiritual life, it's kind of stopped. And you can go back and you can see that moment whenever you asked God for that physical healing and it didn't happen, and you went through grief and you went through that entire process, that that has stagnated you spiritually and you're stuck right there. I don't want you to be stuck there. I want you to be able to grow. Because whenever you're growing, you can give. I want you to become the person that God has called you to be and designed you to be. There are others in this room that today you're hurting because your body has a disease. Or perhaps you live with an injury and that has hold on your body and, and you pray for healing, and you're trusting God, but today you're sick, today you're injured, and you come into this room with a heavy heart because of that. I also know the reality that everybody in this room shares in the disease of sin. Every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, every single one of us can receive healing through Jesus Christ. We will all eventually grow old. Our bodies will eventually fail. But you can receive spiritual healing. What you've done in the past, who you are in your darkest moments, they can be forgiven through Jesus Christ because He extends to us His grace and He has died for your sins and mine and He extends that spiritual healing to you. And even though we live in a world of sin and suffering and death and injustice, we can still experience the freedom of what it means to be alive, not just today, but forever in Jesus Christ. And we go through this world with a hope that is not anchored just to a better tomorrow, but we live our days today with a hope that is anchored to eternity and the, the justice and love and grace that we will experience for all eternity. And so if you come into this room today and you're angry or you're hurt or you're stuck spiritually, I pray that you might be liberated today 
through the spiritual healing of Jesus Christ in your soul. And in the time of commitment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We have a station here. We have two stations at the back. And the deacons will serve this. And here's how it'll work. Uh, Whenever I ask you to stand and we pray, we'll invite you to go to the station that's closest to you. They'll serve you the bread and they'll serve you the juice. And then you go to your seat and there have a moment of prayer. And after you've prayed, you can take the bread and you can take the juice. Now, I want to remind you of something here. First of all, the Lord's Supper is for believers. It's an ancient ceremony that was began by Jesus to demonstrate those, demonstrate Christ to those of us who have placed our faith in Him. And so if you're not yet to this point uh, in your own life, or if you have a small child with you that's not yet to that point in their life, then, then do not partake of the Lord's Supper. I would invite you, though, if there's never been that time in your life when you've experienced spiritual healing, when you've experienced salvation, that while everybody else is taking the Lord's Supper, come and see me because today can be your day. And you can receive the salvation of Jesus Christ today. Now, for those of us who are believers, as you take the Lord's Supper and as you hold the bread and the juice in your hands, uh, the bread is to represent how Christ's body was physically broken. So this is the brokenness of Jesus. This is the suffering of Jesus. And the juice symbolizes new life. It symbolizes forgiveness. It symbolizes grace that comes through Christ. And for some of us, when you take that bread and you take that juice, it needs to be a moment of new beginning. It needs to be a moment where you move beyond the anger and you realize the greatness of the spiritual healing that God extends to you and extends to me. Would you be so kind as to stand? Let's bow our heads and let's enter into this time the taking of the Lord's Supper, our deacons are going to move into their positions. Father, we bow our heads before you and we acknowledge that all glory belongs to you. We thank you, Father, that through Christ we have the deepest healing imaginable. We have the healing of sin. We thank you, Father, that his body was broken so that we might be forgiven. We thank you, Father, that he shed his blood so that we might receive grace that goes beyond justice. Grace that is undeserved. Grace that we receive, that we breathe in and we breathe out praise to you. Lord, I do lift up the person today that's sick. Pray for the person that's angry. I pray, Lord, that you might bring healing to them. And Father, we're thankful that you always extend to us spiritual healing. May we experience the freedom in that. Lord, help us to go beyond that which we grasp and that which we hold on to here and think this is life. And realize that the greatest form of living is to grasp and to hold on to things which are eternal. So help us, Lord, to come alive in that. It's in Jesus' name that we now worship.
it's in Jesus' name that we now sing, give, and partake. Amen.